Welcome to the Jim and Mickey Show, brought to you by no one in particular. I am Jim, <laughs> joined by Mickey White, and boy, we've been itching to get back behind the microphones for this one. A lot to talk about, um, but I think it's a very, we could say this is a very special episode, Mickey, because it begins with a very important transfer of custody uh, <laughs> Le'Veon Bell from your team to my team. Um, and I should point out that if things work out, I, I should have mentioned this before we started taping, Scott from TurnOnTheJets.com, one of the finest Jet blogs, does a great podcast. He, he wants to have you on to talk about Le'Veon and what we're getting in the near future. So possibly a joint appearance of Jim and Mickey on a Jets podcast. But Mickey, how are you doing and how are you how are you dealing with the post-Le'Veon Bell world? The Nobel okay. Prize that you guys have just won. That's fantastic. First of all, I'd like to congratulate you guys on getting him um, and taking him out of Pittsburgh. I'm really happy for y'all. Um, I'm glad that he didn't get as much money as we had originally offered him. And that does nothing but shut up all the people who for the last 18 months have been like, just pay him the money, just pay him what he's worth. Well, we did. We offered him well more than what the Jets did and he still didn't take it. So he ended up obviously going to you guys. I wish you nothing but, you know, mediocre success. Um, you have to beat us in the AFC championship game, right? <laughs> Yeah, I, you know, again, it's part of me says, like, well, maybe the Jets could use this to beat the Patriots once a year. There we um, go. I wouldn't mind but that. But unfortunately, you know, my, my, I struggle with that. But it would be helpful if that were the case, um, you know, just to kind of knock them down a little bit. It's weird because, obviously, you know, as a Steelers fan, I've been over Bell for, like, a good year. And so everyone kind of talking about him and, and the things that are happening with him, like, I wanted to know where he went and I wanted to know how much money he got. But other than that, I have no, like, emotional yeah. investment in him anymore. That's a good point. You've been uh, living in post-Bell world for a year now. <laughs> the rest oh, yeah. of the team has. Yeah. And it's, yeah. yeah, absolutely. And once you screw over your team like he did, you know, he agreed to come back and didn't. So I, I have no time for him. But the other part of this, of course, is what everyone else is talking about, which is the A-B trade. Mm -hmm. Antonio Brown to the Raiders. And I'm so frustrated about this only because he ruined his trade value. Um, I would also like very much for him to keep the Steelers Nation's name out of his mouth. <laughs> because now that he's out there in Oakland and he's telling everyone that, you know, he's certain that this is a bad day for Steelers Nation. I'd like anyone who knows him who happens to be listening to this podcast to share this with him from me. This was not a bad day for Steelers Nation. It was a good day to see you gone, considering all the trouble that he has caused in the last several months. However, the one thing I am pissed off about is that he killed his trade value. And you take a look at OBJ and what we could have gotten for Antonio Brown if he had not gone completely insane in the offseason. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they got, you know, the, the Giants end up with a first round, a third round, and Jabril Peppers for OBJ. I, I was going to say, I am and sure. We got a bag of chips for Antonio Brown. <laughs> yes. Oh, those third, third rounders and fifth rounders are great. Um, you know, the. And, you know, the deal was I would have been thrilled if we ended up sending him to Buffalo and we'd gotten that ninth round pick. Like that would have made me really happy. But of course he put the kibosh on that. And when well, you have a player, let's point out the, the... Saying, I just won't play. What are you going to do? Yeah. Uh, I was going to say, considering how we, you know, considering the recent behavior and the dyed blonde mustache and every other odd thing, you know, and also maybe also probably also looking at the Le'Veon Bell, you know, precedent when a guy says he won't, I'll sit out a year. That's not such an unthinkable, okay, he's bluffing sort of thing. Um, coupled with the fact that 
for in a free agency period that other than Le'Veon Bell has had a great deal of frustration for myself and lots of Jets fans. Um, the fact that he, you know, he he, poor, he refused to go to Buffalo was just kind of a delightful, delightful moment uh, for those of us. He said something like, whoa, 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 I want out of here. Whoa, whoa, not to Buffalo. Whoa, whoa, that's, that's, a, that's the dark side of the moon. That's the circle that of hell. So that's, you know. Like That was the best couple of hours of this whole offseason, by the way, was when I thought he was going to Buffalo. Because, you know, that is the I mean, Siberia of the NFL. I, and he you know, both in terms more. of more. Yeah, both in terms of uh, perception, in terms of winning, and uh, also in terms of temperature, it's the Siberia of NFL. <laughs> so, you know, until we get that it's expansion franchise in Nome, Alaska, that's about as good as it's going to do. So, you know, that, that'll have to do. Yeah, again, I was super happy with what they were going to give us and that he was going to be going there. Um, I had no problem with that. I'm I'm only upset with him in the sense that he ruined his trade value. Um, I am glad that he's gone because I feel like he was a real problem in our locker room and has been for a while. Um, I feel like a lot of the other players, you know, kind of covered for him. Um, in many ways, uh, I think that Ben did for years um, because he threw a lot of fits on the sidelines that people will now probably see a little bit more of since he's a Raider. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, well, you know, you know he, what a, what a if disciplined. He, if he didn't get the ball enough or he didn't feel like he was involved enough, he always caused problems. Going back to when he ended up recording um, Coach Tomlin in the locker room. Yeah. I just say, look, you and I have discussed in some past episode about the Raiders moving to Las Vegas and the, you know, absolute uh, dumpster fire that could turn out to be bringing a bunch of young millionaire men to sin city and seeing what happens antonio brown does not seem like the kind of personality <laughs> that's going to resist the bright lights big city and temptations of sin city uh out there so we'll see how it shakes out maybe i'm overestimating it but you know when people nope. say oh players don't want to go to green bay because it's the smallest city and it's seen as boring and all that stuff hey you know what a small cozy you know, town where you can't get into too much trouble sounds pretty appealing <laughs> Well, Probably has some upsides for a team. Out, he's going to be out in Oakland or L.A. at least for at least a year. Um, and, you know, no one ever gets in trouble out there. Um, yeah. You know, uh, but I think that, you know, we're looking at Antonio Brown as though he's, you know, some kind of wonderful receiver. But I do feel the need to point out that while he's a very special receiver and exceptionally talented, he has never caught a touchdown in the NFL in his nine years from anyone but Ben Roethlisberger. Mm. And yeah, that's a little interesting statistic for anyone who's out there thinking, you know, that he overrated Ben and he, you know, Ben wasn't what made AB great. Um, I would beg to differ. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, there was a lot of folks who, uh, a little bit of speculation about whether the Jets would try to unite two former Pittsburgh Steelers and try to get involved in the AB trade game. Um, my, my sense was, look, you know, in the last five years, yes, Antonio Brown was probably one of the best wide receivers in the NFL. The question is, would he be the same for the next five years? And the, yeah, I think it's pretty clear. He's what, 30, 31 going on 32 this year? Mm-hmm. Um, probably not. Uh, he he's probably is going to be two, maybe three more good years in him. And then at some point, age is going to start catching up. And the question would be, how well, much do you want to yes. commit to that? And I, and, you know. I think that he's a physical specimen. I think he works really hard when he wants to. Um but I also think that there's a lot of people discounting just how poorly his attitude is. And it's coming out even like with his Raiders press conference yesterday. He was late, um, as is usual. And he, you know, he didn't come to our meetings. He blew things off. He blew off a game, for God's sake. So, you know, I, that's, a, that's a person who has made a decision 
not about their team. That makes them very selfish, in my opinion. So I definitely feel like it'll be interesting to see how he plays out with John Gruden. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, you know, the whole everything going on out there at the Raiders is like, you know, look, you've got Derek Carr. He's no Ben Roethlisberger. Yeah. Uh, still occasional rumors of the Raiders looking at quarterback options and things like that. Uh, con- you know, again, look, you know, the other thing they have this giant youth movement, um, which is, you know, typically what happens when you have a lousy year. It's you have a new coach. It's time to blow everything mm-hmm. up and start over. And then you're going to bring in the 32 year old wide receiver. Who may or may well, not have mind, attitude issues? This is Gruden, who traded away Khalil Mack for God's yeah, sake. Like, I, you know, I don't necessarily think that he's the brightest bulb in the NFL. And you've got Gruden. Mike Mack out there, who, as far as I can tell, like the most famous thing that he is responsible for is making sure that um, Jay Cutler got into the NFL. <laughs> I was just say Gruden. Uh, I have, now, admittedly, look now that he's a coach, we don't get the regular exposure to him that we had on Monday Night Football. But, you know, thinking back to his, you know, quarterback room that he used to do on ESPN and his, you know, mm-hmm. Monday night football commentary, Mickey, was it me or was it just always, look, this guy is a football player. He just, mm-hmm. he just goes out onto that field and he just wants to play. Well, good, because he's a professional football player. That's, that's yes. not a prerequisite there. That's, uh, you know, it was, there was always the occasional vibe that Gruden was the kid in class who hadn't done the, done the reading and was mm-hmm. BSing his way through the answer. What he's got oh, to do is throw the ball down the field towards the receiver. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, that's, that's traditionally what a quarterback mm-hmm. does, John. You know. Yes, and that receiver needs to get underneath that ball and catch it. Well, and, you know, he's kind of known for the, the most obtuse statements, I guess, about football and, and exactly what you're saying. And, and what he said yesterday was basically that, you know, Antonio Brown can do everything but throw the ball to himself. So I'll be real curious no. since I don't really have to throw a gauntlet throw. down like that towards in front of Antonio Brown. <laughs> right. <laughs> That'll I be mean, his next like, demand. Yeah. So it's going to be really interesting to see what happens with him out there. But as far as like me being sad that he's gone. Nope. Um, the only thing I'm sad about is that we didn't get a ninth round or the, the first round pick, yeah. which would have been the ninth pick from Buffalo. Um, well, we surely will be marveling at uh, Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell for the year to come. Ha ha ha. There's my segue. Oh, uh, nice. So one of those rare circumstances where you and I have both seen a movie, probably a testament to the enormous power of the Marvel brand. Um, Mickey, I don't know about you. Saw Captain Marvel this past weekend. Enjoyed it. And I kind of was left wondering if I had watched a different movie than all the other critics. Because okay. the, the reviews for this were either, this is a feminist triumph that, you know, belongs in the pantheon of great films of all time, you know. I am woman, hear me. There were people who were like, no, this is social justice warrior agit prop. <laughs> and it, it was a fun movie. It was good. It was great. You know, I, I have no complaints. It was a movie. Um, it was a Marvel movie. Yeah. Um, which I think is more important. I think that, you know, there were a couple scenes that might have been taken as heavy handed. Um, for me, it, look, the social media or social justice message was lost on me. I need you to understand that because I wasn't looking for it. Um. But what I would say is that it was a very nice, light movie. Like, it wasn't as good as Wonder Woman because I really, really liked Wonder Woman. And again, I'm not a Marvel or DC person. Like, I just like what I like. And I really liked Wonder Woman's story. And I liked her, you know, everything that went into that. Now, as far as this movie goes, it was great. Like, you got your whole um, 
origin story. You got everything you needed to know about Captain Marvel and how she came about. I felt like that was good. I thought Samuel L. Jackson played a much larger role than I anticipated. Mm, um, yeah. And I enjoyed him in it. Um, my favorite character by far was um, the cat. Yes. I loved him. The cat was my favorite. And I said that repeatedly in the theater. So, um, and on that note, I would also recommend that everyone stay to the very last um, moment for your for the credits. Oh, yeah. if, you're, if you go to Marvel movies and you're not staying until you've seen the absolute last, not just the key grips, not right. just the gaffers, yes. but you know, the the 47 percent of Americans who've been hired to work on the computer effects in these films. Mickey, <laughs> I, I feel like I'm watching the census go by waiting for that oh, second yeah. uh, uh, closing. The uh, second one. Yes. Um, and it's definitely worth it. But again, I, I felt like it was a good movie. I felt like um, I think I feel like, again, we've got a problem in this country of people projecting way too much mm. onto things that don't have that kind of value. And now part of it is that you did have, you know, some of the people that were promoting this movie tried to tie it to like, you know, yeah. hear, I am woman, hear me roar. And that Brie Larson to is, you know, off. yeah. By the way, my, my theory on this, and I did not get a big reaction when I mentioned this offhand in, in, a, in a column this week, um, so I'll bounce it off you. Mickey, do you think Brie, so Mickey, uh, Brie Larson came out and said there are too many white male movie critics and this movie isn't for them. You know, she, uh, she beat the drum on the social justice warrior stuff and, and wokeness and all that kind of stuff in a way that probably rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. I just didn't but think I it was that woke. Yeah, but, here, but my question is, if you're Brie Larson, right, you're an up-and-coming rising star in Hollywood, uh, let's say a very attractive blonde, um, and you decide to pick a fight with a good chunk of the, you know, movie critics that are out there, uh, this could, uh, no doubt this could very well be her, her genuine beliefs, and, and I don't mean to, you know, second-guess any of that, but it has a side effect. The side effect is, mm -hmm. let's say Brie Larson goes out and makes another film, a historical drama or something, and people say, ugh, it's terrible. She's completely miscast as Amelia Earhart mm -hmm. or, or something like that. And, and they trash her. She's like, well, what do you expect? I, I criticized white male movie critics. Okay. Well, it, fair. I think that's fair. I, I would put this out to you. And I said this to my friends. I watched it with um, two other girls. So we're all females watching it together. Um, watching it in a theater where they'll let us drink while we watch it because those are the best ways to see <laughs> movies. Um, and we're sitting there watching it and everything is over. And I, I looked at my friend and I said... I'm not sure that they needed Brie Larson. And she's like, what do you mean? I was like, well, you know, Brie's actually like an up, very much an up and coming actress, but she was nominated for Oscars because of Room and, you know, mm -hmm. the, the work that she has done. I'm like, but I didn't like, I honestly feel like that could have been any actress. Well, okay. So here's, here's where I and think like, you can so, have to you know, If everyone mm -hmm. wants to bring me the hate, they can bring it. But I looked at her in the movie and I'm like, I know they made a big deal about her getting like physically strong and whatever, but it's, reality is like 95% of her body in the movie was CGI. Yeah. So I so could there's... have been her. Like I literally could have been her flying around because the whole bodysuit was completely CGI. Yeah. There's a, there's a, there's a wrinkle here and there's one of two possibilities. The one is that they wrote the character um, as a little bit, this, this is not uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s Tony Stark wisecracking every, every, you know, two minutes. This, this is, you know, mm -hmm. someone who's a little more contained um, someone who is, um, I almost want to say taciturn, right? Somebody who's not, you know, I, you know, there, there, there's a lot going on under the surface, but it's not a, a lively, not a larger than life personality to this character. And a lot of Marvel heroes, Thor, Captain America, they are, you know, the guardians of the galaxy. They all have these big personalities. 
think mm-hmm. it's okay to say Carol Danvers doesn't. And I don't think, you know, yeah. I think it's okay to have a character who isn't bursting off the screen like that, particularly considering the backstory mm-hmm. of the character that we see in this film. We're tr- By the way, Mickey and I are trying to avoid spoilers. Um, if, mm-hmm. it, it's been a week and a half. If you're really worried about spoilers, why don't you fast forward a little bit? <laughs> that's, about, that's about as good. Yeah, good I think we're doing getting. good, though, by avoiding a lot of the spoilers. Um, I, I definitely, like I said, I... I, I think she did fine. I think the movie was fine. There were a couple times where, I, like I said, I just felt like it was like one or two lines that were a little heavy handed. Um, and he felt like they were kind of a nod to the people that they were talking to before I went to the film. Um, but for the most part, it was just a very basic Marvel film. And for someone like myself who doesn't really know anything about these characters going into the movies, one of the first things that struck me was I didn't realize that it was like so spacey. Like, that it was going to be so much like Star Wars with a girl. Um, and I felt like a lot of the scenes kind of ripped off of Star Wars um, with all of the space scenes and whatever. Um, so I thought that was kind of interesting. Probably, like, that would be my only take back because I don't like space movies. Mm. So I'm like, this is a little too spacey for me. Yeah, well, um, this is a Marvel movie in which... Uh, so here's here's your, you know, uh, comic book geek to normal there you woman. Go. Uh, conversation. By the way, guys, it can happen. Uh, some girls will actually will talk to you, if you even if you collected comic books. <laughs> um, so, did you recognize anyone from Guardians of the Galaxy? Oh, you mean like in the movie itself? Yes. Mm, I don't think so. Okay. So, um, one of the guys on the strike team uh, played by Digimon Hansu. I yes, believe I pronounced it. yes, okay. yes, yes. All right, so, right, so he's the guy who says Star-Lord, who, in that opening scene. Um, and yes. then when they bring in, uh, what's it, Ronin the Accuser was the villain in Guardians of the Galaxy, and he has a small mm. role uh, as the guy commanding the fleet that's going to uh, bomb the bejesus out of Earth, et cetera, et cetera. By the way, you could say, right. oh, Jim, spoiler alert, but you know what? The movie's taking place in the 90s. We know mm-hmm. Earth didn't get bombed to, Beji- bombed to right. the heck in the 90s. So I think we kind of know that something's got something's going to turn out okay. Um, you know what I liked about this, Mickey, is mm. uh, Marvel's had a pretty darn good casting for a whole bunch of movies. You look at this one, Jude Law, um, Annette Bening, uh, all these guys. Yeah, she was a surprise. In the late 90s, this would have been Oscar bait. <laughs> this would have been, right? you know, the kind of people who get cast in a in a classic Oscar bait historical drama. And the other guy is uh, Ben Mendelsohn, mm-hmm. who has been in Ready Player One, who's been in Rogue One. Apparently, he's only in movies with the name One in the title. Yeah, um, I need you to understand that, like, at the end of the movie, we were literally sitting there waiting to see who he was. Right. Because okay. we all liked so much. He was another one of our favorite characters. Yeah, so he's the guy who's basically been cast as every slimy villain in the last two or three years. Uh-huh. And, you know, all right, all right, this is it. Spoiler alert. Fast forward if you need it. Um, having him not be the villain is the perfect twist because we've been soaking up. Oh, there's Ben Mendelsohn. He's the we're bad programmed. guy, right? The moment mm-hmm. he shows up as Fury's boss, you're like, oh, okay, he's a Skrull. He's a Skrull shapeshifter. He's got to be a bad guy. And he faked, they faked out the audience. And I suppose you could say the argument is the same thing with Jude Law. That mm-hmm. we're generally used to seeing Jude Law as good guys. Uh, and so the idea of, you know, after all, he just played young Dumbledore. Um, the idea of him being the bad guy is this nice little, you know, ah, you know. You, I you think it's interesting the turn that I, I, I'm, I think it's interesting the turn that Jude Law's care not character Jude Law's career has taken mm. because in the 90s as we were just talking about where the movie is set for the most part um he has 
he played a lot of like those independent Oscar bait roles. Yeah. Right. Um, and then he, you know, he gets involved with the Harry Potter franchise through um, Fantastical Beasts, and you have him now tied up with the um, Avengers yeah. films, and it's like interesting plot twist, right? Because no longer are we just going after the the movies that will make us feel good about being an actor, but the movies that will line our bank accounts for years to come. Yeah, very clearly, nobody's too good for for superhero movies anymore. Um, and I think that's you. good for superhero that's movies. That's really important. Yeah. Um, and, and it's good for superhero movies. And it's also, I imagine this has to be fun for these actors, you know, you oh know, how many, how often, how often is Jude, uh, is, uh, is, is he, you know, is, is Jude Law going to get to fly around space and, and do all that kind of stuff. So, you know, have fun with that. Uh, my one gripe, uh, if mm-hmm. I say the name Gemma Chan to you, Mickey, do you recognize that name? Yes, she was the um well she's she's one of them. Yes, one of the aliens and mm-hmm. she was in Crazy Rich Asians and she's been in some other mm-hmm. So when I saw she was in it, I was like, oh yeah. Um but she's and really not in it much. Yeah. <laughs> it's what and what I I, a whole bunch of people were like, Oh, you know, yeah, I, I I mentioned this on Twitter. I was like, Well, I'm, you know, you cast kind of a big at least wait, she's very big in Britain. She's done a bunch of British TV series and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um and just, you know, oh, this is somebody, you know, oh, she's in this for, you know, what seems like five minutes. I mentioned this yeah. on Twitter and some people are like, they're keeping around for the sequel. It doesn't look oh. like. <laughs> like okay. Pulling some rabbit out of a hat. No, it doesn't look yeah, like I'm that. Yeah, I'm not sure how so. that works at all. But yeah. But again, you know, I'm sure she gets paid well there you go. Um, for her five minutes. But yeah, I, I literally didn't think she was on there for five minutes. Um, and I thought that was a waste of her talent. Um, I wasn't particularly impressed with the um, the casting of the best friend. I don't even know who that actress is. Um, yeah. But I, I thought her daughter was fantastic, but I just, like, she did not jump off the screen either. I was going to say, a lot of the backstory for, in the opening, in the first trailers for Captain Marvel, they show you her backstory, right? All the times and her, as a young girl and as a teen and as a younger woman, she gets knocked down and she gets backed up again. And I don't know about you, I, I saw that and I was like, ugh. That could exactly. get old very fast. Here we go. Here's the message. I am woman. Hear me roar. Yada, yada. And I don't think people were ready for the fact that what you see in the trailer is pretty much what you get in the movie. <laughs> this, yep. this movie mm-hmm. wanted to fast forward through all of that as much as possible, which I think generally was good. I think actually that's that sort of stuff can turn into cliche very care, very easily if you're not careful. And it worked out pretty well. The downside was I do feel like right, if there's anything that was a little abbreviated and we needed to see a little bit more of. It was the relationship with the best friend and the bond and, you know, the difficulty that would come with the fact of you think your friend is dead and they walk through the door four years, you know, however many years later. Well, I think part of the problem was there was zero chemistry between the two of them. Yeah. Like, yeah I mean, you again, need to have that kind of friend chemistry and they're just, it wasn't there. And again, I'm not sure who the actress was, but I wasn't impressed with her. Yeah. And I you feel know, like Brie Larson did fine. I think the only, like, to me, the thing that caught me, as I said, there was like one or two lines, but this one in particular was when they kept coming back to like, but can you control your emotions? Mm. And I don't yeah. know. See, here's the thing. I don't know if that's part of her story. Um, like, I don't know if that's actually part of what they had written about her, that she couldn't control her emotions. But what I do know is that when they said it, I, and they did the whole, like, you know, why don't you smile thing? There was a line about that. Mm-hmm. I need you to understand. I'm, I'm a girl. I've been a girl my entire life. <laughs> I can't think of one person that's ever told me to smile. And I feel like it's a really trite thing that people put out there, but somebody buys into it. So whatever. Yeah. And also um, the irony, you have to control your emotions to an actress who seems to be under emoting in every scene is, um, yeah. 
Like she doesn't feel emotional at she's, all. No, uh, she's trust like me. The whole movie. Trust me, mentor character. She's doing fine. That's uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, the I director didn't feel saying, like no, no. she was. Yeah, stop controlling your emotions. Let it show. Um, speaking of showing emotions, all right. So here, so I, I, any any closing thoughts on Captain Marvel? Otherwise, I've got something I've been dying to pick your brain about because I have a feeling okay, this is going to be next. But first, I want to say before we jump into the next one, um, also noted that today the new Avengers trailer dropped. Yes, and that was yeah. Let's talk about that for a second. I had figured this might be one of the things that would hold back Captain Marvel, and it really hasn't. It looks like it's you know uh, being a you know turning into a big success. Is it look you know Avengers: Infinity War ended on this giant cliffhanger, uh, not even cliffhanger. Like the bad guy manages to wipe out half the universe. Um, Mm -hmm. What's going to happen next? You know, there's got to be some way to reverse it. We've already seen trailers for Spider Man. We kind of know something's going to happen. It's going to bring back all of these dead characters. But, you know, you've never seen heroes in any superhero, sci-fi, any any movie fantasy in which, you know, the bad guy has managed to kill half the universe. That's put Thanos up there as the champion villain who, you know, for. So the question is, what's going to happen next? And then along comes Captain Marvel, which is, hey, here's something that happened in the 90s. And I wondered if some people were going to get, you know, grown about it. Good timing by Marvel. So I think, Mar- I think Captain Marvel turned out to be fine. And now it's like, okay, so you, you've had that appetizer. Main course is coming by the way, in April, by the way, Mickey. Does it, is it just be summer movies start earlier and earlier? Earlier and earlier. Um, but I think they start now, like right after spring break. Mm. Um, I think that's when they kind of seem to snag people in. But I will tell you that in watching, like, obviously one of the reasons I went to Captain Marvel was because I knew I was going to go see Endgame. And I wanted to make sure I had everything I needed to know on that. And I feel like I do. Um, there's only a handful of the Marvel movies that I haven't seen all the way through. Or I didn't fall asleep in. So I feel like I'm pretty good. Now, going into this, I think that one of the things that's really cool is obviously we know how it ended um, in Infinity War. We know that they're probably going to bring them back. I feel like seeing Captain Marvel made me think of like a million ways that she could take out Thanos. Mm-hmm. Like how she could be the key to you know whether she blows up his like glove and that releases the stones um or how she gets involved with it but like i feel like her powers combined with what we already know exist in the marvel universe mm-hmm. will make a big difference in endgame yeah um my my theory and this you know if i don't know it it's not a spoiler mm-hmm. uh so at the end of ant-man they talk about the quantum realm everything everything every yes every other, every other word in ant-man has the word quantum in it um, but the idea is that they, they talk about the idea of time travel or something like that. I wonder if at some point they're going to go back and it, it's going to be Terminator, right? We, you know, the world is already mm-hmm. blown up. So the only way to, st- we, you can't undo it. So the only way to stop it is to go back in time and prevent it. Correct. And it'll be something where they have to go back in time and like destroy the infinity stones or, or do something mm-hmm. that will undo, that will make, the, make sure that the snap, the snapping, as I've heard some people call it, uh, <laughs> the, uh, the snapture, you know. Um, <laughs> the snapture, that's good. All of a sudden, some people disappear. Some people are still left. It's, you know, uh, guess you didn't make the cut. Um, <laughs> you know, yes, that, that, I definitely feel like we're going to go back in time. Yeah, um, that, I say that without a doubt. And I think that one of the key lines, obviously, in the key moments in Infinity War was when Doctor Strange said this was the only way. Mm. Yeah. 
And so something tells me that there's more to what just happened than what we even know at this point. Yep. Yeah, the idea that this is everything that is, is, is you know, what? everyone in our house gets to uh, everyone in our live on our podcast gets to say this is what happens when the phone rings at my house. I'm there just going to let it ring. That's, That's what the house. Fine. Yeah, this is this is an exciting the joys of live podcasting. Um, oh, yeah. People might say, well, why don't you just edit it out, Jim? And the answer is because I'm not Dave and Dave was really good at that. So, OK, that's uh, that's very true. What I would also say is like you're one of the few people I know that still has a landline there. Well, eh, you never know when you might need one. That That's, you know, some, someone takes down the cellular cellular network or something like that. But yeah, oh, so, yeah, Avengers, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, comes out next month. My God, uh, it looks looks awesome. Um, so can I take the total downer topic, Mickey? Can I, can I, cause I'm really, this is, you know, uh, Liz Locker did not put me up to this, but I'm just curious about uh, the, the, you know, if you, if you're of a certain age, the discussion about Michael Jackson and this new documentary mm. that's out there, is it finding Neverland, running away from Neverland, escaping Neverland, leaving Neverland, leaving Neverland. um, you know, big debates about, you know, one, do you believe the allegations in the film? Two, if you do, can you? Does that change the way you feel about his music? Um, does this change the legacy? Does it change the way you know all all kinds of stuff? So, Mickey, you know this is this is the, the, I, you're the first person I want to know the, the the opinion of this. So, what do you think? <laughs> okay, I'll go ahead and take those letters. It'll be coming shortly after. Um, but here's what I think. I think that these were grown men who testified in court under oath as adults saying that Michael Jackson did not abuse them. They, for whatever reason, waited 10 years after he died to come out with this documentary, which everyone is quick to say that they made no money on the documentary, but don't feel the need to point out that they have gone back and asked the Jacksons for more money in settlements. Um, so, like, I feel like these two people um, may be telling the truth. They may not. I don't care anymore. Um, they had mm. an opportunity to do something about it when he was alive. And able to defend himself. And they did not. Um, and I felt like the documentary. Just based on what I saw was very one sided. And that was from the people who liked it. Um, I did not watch the documentary. Because I have no desire to watch people who. In my opinion again. Had an opportunity to do something about it. When the man was alive. And they mm-hmm. didn't. Yeah, and, you know, yeah. and instead they took the money. One of the things I will tell you. Is that I have very little patience. For these so called victims. When what they really need to do is much like the R. Kelly situation is take it up with your parents. They're the ones who sold you to a celebrity or rented you out. Um, I just like it's very strange to me that all of these parents made money off the situation. All these kids have made money off the situation. Um, And even as adults, you know, kind of stretched it out as much as they possibly can. Um, And I just like it's very hard for me to look at the situation and say, yeah, I believe that Michael Jackson secretly married you in a hotel room. Um, I just don't see it. And the reason I don't see it is that, you know, it, I, this is what I what I feel about Michael Jackson. I feel like he probably did have mental illness. I believe that he absolutely had Peter Pan theory syndrome. Um, I think that he, I mean, he named his house Neverland Ranch. Like, mm-hmm. come on, guys. Like, he Look, is Peter Pan. He thought if, of himself as Peter Pan. If you skip so, over your childhood... Because yes. you and your brothers have turned into this giant musical act, and you are, you know, the the you, you basically have to skip all the normal parts of growing up, and you have to deal with the pressures of frame of pressures of fame, really before you've hit double digits, right? I mean, this is you know, 
um, just an unthinkable, just a, a kind of life most of us have a very hard time uh, thinking of. No doubt that's going to have an enormous psychological impact on somebody. And, and the whole oh, thing, the second thing is that by the time you're what, 21, you know, early 20s, you've made more money than God, right? You, your thriller turns him into the biggest pop star, you know, probably since mm-hmm. Elvis, right? You know, you, you know oh, yeah. every concert super sold out, you know, every, you, you were the biggest star on the planet by some measures. Um, and so, which means, you know, we talk about, you know, FU money and stuff like that. You, you're now in a position where you can do anything you want, buy anything mm-hmm. you want, you know, um, that's that's about you know, that's really abnormal circumstances, and you're probably going to end up with some abnormal psychology because of that. And I guess the other thing kind of gets to me is like, you know, I'm, I'm a parent. You're a step parent. Um, some celebrity wants to spend time with your kids. No, because <laughs> they're my kid. You know, like I don't right. like. I would not let any adult just hang out with my kid. That's weird. Um, but I think that the other part of it too is like these are people who. You know, we've heard from other people that hung out with Michael Jackson, that he did like to have sleepovers, that he liked to ride his rides on Neverland yeah, Ranch because he thought of himself. been around, like, going way back. So, like, yeah. I don't uh, know. To me, it just felt very, like, the whole thing felt very contrived and a very um, unnecessary 10 years after his death. Um, and again, you know, that's yeah. just my opinion. People can say what they want. I think that it is disingenuous to pretend like people aren't going to play Michael Jackson's move, move uh, excuse me, music um, after this is forgotten. Mm-hmm. I feel like, um, you know, it's just very odd to me that this is all happening so far after the fact. And I don't like that. I don't like it at all because this all went through the legal system. Yeah. I, that's, I mean, for those who, who you know, I just decided to look it up. Uh, this is 2004. The trial goes all the way halfway through 2005. Uh, four counts of molesting a minor, four counts of intoxicating a minor, one count of attempted child molestation, one count of conspiring, uh, second second count on conspiring to commit extortion. Like, you know, pled not guilty to all counts and found not guilty on all charges. So mm-hmm. he had his day in court, and these charges were not proven. And I don't, you know, the other and the separate thing is that the people named in this thing did take the money. They did take the financial mm-hmm. settlement. I, you know, I assume a big part of the financial settlement was, you know, you don't talk about what happened. You don't I was repeat say, the allegations. You know how I feel about people who take hush money. Like, so, they like, have to just, stay quiet. Yeah. Um, it is if a. You're going to take the money. You got to keep your mouth shut. And people are going to say, oh, how could you say that about somebody who's allegedly done these these sorts <laughs> of terrible things? But like, again, one. It's deep frustration that if if you know, okay, next maybe it's very comparable to the R. Kelly situation. The rumors mm-hmm. about R. Kelly have been around for like a decade now. Mickey, am I right? I mean, like this wasn't it? Like you know, he was always bringing up like fourteen year olds up on stage and uh-huh. doing. And you do really... understand, like he married Aaliyah when she was fifteen, right? So like this, you know, on the one hand, am I glad that the, you know that that R. Kelly is being brought to justice? Sure. On the other hand, like how. Like, do you have to be in the second decade of this sort of behavior being described before? Like, it just seems very, well, very strange. Okay, okay so, yeah. here, the, the thing with R. Kelly, and I, I would only say this, I think they're very, very similar. Um, I think that R. Kelly is a hot mess. I think that if they're ever able to get something to stick against him, great. But again, this comes down to a situation of some of these women are of age, and they're there willingly, obviously. Um, some women, you know, I didn't watch Surviving R. Kelly. Because you know why, Jim? I've known what R. Kelly was since the mid-90s. 
So for 20 years, I've known what he was. I did not need to watch something to tell me what I already knew. I would not hang out with R. Kelly. I still like his song that I like, and I like some of his other music too, but specifically, I really like a remix to Ignition, and that will never go away. Um, <laughs> oh, so... yeah. there, there are a lot of you know, people going to say, can you never watch the Cosby show again? Can you never watch a Roman Pulaski film again? You know, like, are there certain lines in which you say, okay, performer, nope. what you've done is so terrible. Everything you've done in the past is, you know, if so, you know. Let you me know, ask it, you this. You know, Does that mean reasons. you can never watch any of the Harvey Weinstein produced films again? Yeah. Well, okay. Now, here's the thing. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we were watching uh, Lord of the Rings, uh, you know, with the boys and introducing them to that. And at the end of the trial, you know, list producer Harvey Weinstein. Mm-hmm. This is campaign spot, and I just cringe. <laughs> Go, you know, mm-hmm. um, the name is now going to, you know, always going to be associated with that. And I notice I've not had any appetite to watch The Cosby Show. Even though the Cosby Show is considered, you know, I, I think still stands as one of the great family sitcoms of all time, in light mm-hmm. of what we know about Bill Cosby now, but you know, one that's that's kind of not fair to Felicia Rashad and and everybody else who mm-hmm. was involved in you know, in all these things. Everybody else who's involved in the, I guess you could say for for solo musical performers is a little more focused on the one individual, but. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. It, and again, I, I feel like, you know, people will make their decisions based on what they feel personally, but I don't feel like this should be something that as a society, we should have to make a decision. Mm-hmm. You know, like, oh, well, we're all going to agree to not play Michael Jackson music or yeah, we're all going to agree. Like, no, we don't agree on anything. So at this point, I feel like if people love his music, like our friend Liz, um, love his music, then you know what? Listen to his music. The man is dead. Um, yeah. And according to the courts, he was murdered. So, you know, I, I just feel like there's a lot going on here. And usually, it, unfortunately, it comes down to money. Like, well, you know, and, and nothing leads into the next segment any more than what we just talked about, which is, of course, what's going on with the people who have paid for their kids to get into USC. Yes. All right. So, Felicity, not just USC, but obviously Georgetown, oh, right. Yale, UCLA. Uh, I, need, uh, I have so many questions. I need right. you to explain to me one how dumb your kid has to be that you are paying $500,000 to get them into a state school, which in California you get into for free if you live in the state. Well, the, so I, we don't know the, the details of all of the kids who applied, but uh, Lori Laughlin's daughter um, is apparently, Mickey, one of those teen social influencers uh, mm-hmm. on Instagram and maybe YouTubes or, or, or you know, something like that. Um, and she had already said in one of these YouTubes that she's not that into school not that into studying, but she's looking forward to going there for the parties. And she was going to talk to the Dean about, you know, how much, uh, cl- how many classes she had to attend. And mm-hmm. boy, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't that be nice if you, Hey, Hey Dean, I just, I'm not that into class. Can I, how many, like two a semester? Is that cool? You know? Um, well, that was the thing I didn't understand either is why they didn't just, you know, get her an apartment near campus and sign her up for like one class a year. That she didn't have to be enrolled as a full-time student, and they could pay for the credits as she decided to take them. Yeah, so I'm it's interesting. There was a discussion amongst uh, a couple NR folk about whether this story was being overcovered, undercovered, or or just right. And I put it as just right because this is a this strikes me as a you know extraordinarily fascinating story. I think it confirms a lot of suspicions people had about the college admissions process and that there were um, back doors or side doors as they referred to in their discussions about how to help wealthy, powerful, connected people. 
Sorry, what? what gave you that idea, Jim? Was it ah, because, yeah. you know, Teddy Kennedy got back in when his dad donated a building? Or was it because all of the famous people go to Yale and Harvard? Right. You know, they've never been to high school. Of, uh, descriptions of wealthy students who uh, come from abroad, who, you know, uh, dumb as a box of rocks, but who, you know, their parents are, are able to pay full freight so they get in. Mm-hmm. Um, having written about this for two days, Mickey, my suspicion, my, my conclusion based on reader response is, Everybody feels like somewhere in the college admissions process, they either got screwed over or treated a little unfairly or they were denied an opportunity they should have had. And these are people who are like happy, well-adjusted, have had successful lives. But they remember that pressure from being 16, 17, 18 and wondering where they're going to go. When are they going to get into this college of their choice? How do they do into the SAT? Are their grades good enough? Are their class ranking, you know, is, is there, you know, all these, you know, ugh, all this pressure and this belief that where you go to college is going to determine your future. I mean, people hated that. I think most mm-hmm. of us who get into the real world figure out, yeah, actually, where are you Kind of, college? but not really, yeah. You know, like, it, it gets you into a, you know, like, again, I'm not, I didn't go to Harvard. I don't know about the Harvard Mafia. Maybe there really is a, a ironclad social network that will open up doors that wouldn't open otherwise. Uh, at some of these Ivy League schools or something like that. But generally... Well, I definitely think that they have a stronger alumni base than people that go to, like, a state school, right? They're not going to have the same connection. If somebody sees Harvard on your resume, yeah. um, that means something to them. I don't know why, but it does. And I say this because we've known for years that people have paid their way to get into these schools. They donate buildings. They mm-hmm. donate labs. They donate thousands of, I'm sorry, millions of dollars to these schools in order for their kids to go to school there. So the biggest problem I kind of have with all of this is that these parents were too dumb to pay and bribe the school directly because if they had bribed the school directly, they would not be in trouble. That's legal. And that's the only reason they're in trouble. Yes. The lesson. The only reason it's illegal is they had a middleman. Yes. Don't use middlemen. Always bribe directly, America. Um, So I I find myself less like, shocked and abhorred by all of it because I've known for years that people pay for their kids to go to college. Um, You know, there are schools that are around this country, and you know this, that are private schools generally set up for dumb rich kids. Yeah. Like, and I, like, it shouldn't be a shock to anybody. And I I think the dumb, I think the most shocking part is that they were so dumb that they fell for this guy's scam. I think that that's probably shocking because if she had given $500,000 to the school, she would have gotten in too. Let's point out, Mickey, apparently, according to the indictments, it's been going on since at least 2011, and there's like 750 kids, minimum. And this is and this is the guy they caught. The sneaking suspicion is, are there other guys doing the same sort, running the same, same sort of scams? It raises the question to these, you know, and again, it's not just the IVs, although there are a couple of them on there. Uh, it's others that are... I don't understand why they had somebody fake an SAT test for them either, like, because clearly these kids don't have the grades. Um well, that- and why have somebody take an SAT score that's going to be, like, outrageous? Because most schools, yes, they look at the SAT score, but that's not your only deciding factor. No, no, but I think it's worth it. No, you know, everyone who uh, did well on the SAT thinks it's just fine. I'm not going to mention my SAT scores. They were pretty good, probably better than my grades. Um, I was going to say, I think that, you know, I would have very happily at that age gone ahead and been the guy who took $15,000 and went and took SATs for people. There you go. Right. Yeah, so that's right. You were you were off the charts IQ, uh, <laughs> bored. And as a result of that, you know, like, you know, a, a type that probably it's not true. as common in America schools um, as, as 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 people may think. 
But this idea of like everyone who's had this, who's dealt with somebody who's still bragging about going to an Ivy League school or something like that. Mickey, I don't know about you. We love this story because it basically mm-hmm. says, hey, that thing that you thought was so prestigious, that thing mm-hmm. you thought that made you so special, it's not because not everybody who has one of those earned it, right? And that okay, devalued it for everybody else. So is that why there are people that I would call mid-level elites are the ones that are really pissed off? They're not like the real elites. They're kind of like, you know, um, upper to <laughs> middle-income elites. Um, but they are the ones that seem to be the most frustrated by this. I saw a woman um, on HLN earlier this week saying that this was the worst thing a parent could do. And I was like, no, there are parents who kill their kids. That's pretty bad. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> the worst thing you can do like, for your kids is pretty high. Yeah, it's a high bar to yeah, kill. Yeah, I was like, yeah, I don't think it's like that. And I honestly, I don't, I, I'm shocked that they spent this much time and resources on it on, quote, Operation Varsity Blues. Um, I think it's hilarious that that's what they called it. I think it's, um, I think the whole thing is actually just so stupid and I can't, I I can't find another word that's better than that because these people got scammed by a guy and now of course, you know, they're going to ultimately end up paying for it down the road. But if they had just given the money directly to the school, nothing would have been illegal. Well, look, think about, I mean, you know, when I was growing up, uh, we had Princeton Review and I guess there's Kaplan. There's all kinds of, you know, test preparation, little ways that if you were of means, you could get a little bit of a leg up, a little bit of an advantage as you were trying to put together your your perfect application package to the college of your choice. Um, A little more recently, they have college admissions consultants, generally people Mm -hmm. who used to work in admissions office who say, I know exactly what they're looking for. I help you work on this. I'll help you put together. Uh, the aspect of this story that I liked best, Mickey, besides Elizabeth Warren saying how horrible it was that people were faking their identity, <laughs> identity. Yeah, yeah, that's terrible, Senator. You know, who, who would pull, who would dare pull a stunt like that? Um, yes, were the people who using just made false up information awards. to get into college. Who do people who made up awards, knowing that the college was never going to verify that there was a you know, you know, Chapman Award of Excellence in Community Service or or some such nonsense mm-hmm. or something like that. And you're sitting there thinking like. God, why didn't I do that? <laughs> right? I mean, that that's it. Why doesn't every parent do that with the sneaking suspicion that so many of these you know, things that are listed on a kid's resume or application are just kind of exaggerations or, or tweaks or I volunteered at a blood drive once, therefore I'm committed to community, you know, all the kind of stuff in which, mm-hmm. you know, like we, we, we've all, we probably remember it. And my my seeking my argument of the last couple of days has been, look, yeah, this is you know a process that attracts unethical people, um, but they're also responding to the incentives, right? If oh, if, yeah. if, the, if getting into the school, if, if a, a, let's say top twenty five school in this country, is considered a guaranteed ticket to at least the middle class and maybe the upper middle class, mm-hmm. and it's got status and it's got prestige, of course there are going to be people who are going to be looking for any way to get in by hook or by crook. Mm-hmm. You know, and so to me, the answer is don't have 25 really good schools in this country. Recognize that there are probably 100 to 150 of them. And that there's, you right. know, again, stop putting so much value on the idea of the just these schools, are the ones that are valued and all doors should be open to you and, you know, endless opportunities and all that. Stuff. Like, I think this is resonating because it really gets into a question of like, are we really an opportunity society? Mm-hmm. Does America live up to the hype or do you have certain doors that are closed to you? Because of class, because of uh, financial access, because of elitism, well, because of nepotism, et cetera, look, et cetera. I would look to my 
TV family, the Kardashians on this. <laughs> and I would like to point out to you that Kylie is the first self-made billionaire and she didn't have to cheat her way into college or even go. Okay, question, Mickey. When you say self-made, mm-hmm. um, oh, what's yeah. your measuring I'm stick? ready. I'm ready. All right. I'm ready for you on this. Um, that's one of the reasons why I brought it up is because I would be willing to agree to the fact that she is not a self-made millionaire. I would say that with the the life that she was born into, she was very easily going to be a millionaire by the time you know she was in her 20s, right? Mm-hmm. But to be a billionaire, and there is a big step difference. Like, and I'm I need people to understand. Like, you look at the numbers. There's a huge difference between the people in this country who are millionaires and the people who are billionaires with a B. But that child—it's almost like, like there's a factor like of a not, thousand di- separating them. Yes, almost like that. Um, but that child, whether you like what she did or not, she when she you know turned, I think it was 18, was when she maybe 17 when she launched Kylie Cosmetics. That was her idea. That was her passion. She loves makeup. Um, she had loved makeup since she was a kid, and she liked playing dress up and all of that. And so she told her mom she wanted to open up, you know, a makeup line, and they started the with the lip kits, which I actually own. Um, and it's great. I love the color. And when she launched Kylie Cosmetics, that's where it became her business. And Kylie Cosmetics is worth over $900 million. So because we know that Kylie Cosmetics is worth over $900 million, she is, in my opinion, a self-made billionaire. That is, Mickey, I I will salute you for offering what I think is probably the strongest possible argument. And I would note that if if taking a million dollars and turning it into a billion was easy, then, Mm -hmm. you know, there'd be a lot of, there'd be a lot of kids of millionaires who end up with a billion dollars the way she did. And then a lot of them don't. So obviously Mm -hmm. some of that is the family fame. Some of that is the family, uh, the, the, the platform that being part of that family provides her. But yeah, this this is you know there there are a bunch of famous. I would also say that, and you know, I've told you this before. Um, these girls work hard. They you know they have the the life of luxury without a doubt, but they also work really hard to keep that and keep their image, keep their brand, keep their businesses running, because most of these girls own more than one business, and so that in and of itself has a lot of responsibility tied to it. So. I'm going to play devil's advocate here. How much do you think these uh, young women are involved in the day-to-day planning and and operations of these companies? Um, I think that some of them are a lot more involved in some of the operations of some of the companies than you would ever believe. Okay. Because I say this based on the fact that, you know, obviously some of it comes from watching them on Keeping Up with the Kardashians and actually seeing them going into these meetings and discussing things and making the the decisions Mm. specifically about, like, they definitely make the same kind of decisions that any other CEO would make or CFO Mm -hmm. um, in that they make decisions that have to do with the overall brand and the way things are going to be marketed and whatnot. Um, They definitely make decisions on what they're going to put in their products um, and how they're going to be tested and things of that nature. So I really do feel like they don't get enough credit Mm -hmm. for being actively involved because they're not just a name figurehead. If their Mm -hmm. name is attached to it, the girls are involved. I think it could be very much a... Uh, useful or valuable lesson for this in that, so here you have people who are born into luxury and who theoretically at at fairly early point would have enough money to live a life of leisure. And, you know, for all of us who work for a living, that's, that's what we dream of, right? Ah, you know, I'm going to win the lottery. I'm going to have my yacht. I'm going to have multiple homes. I'll have a private jet. Mm -hmm. These are folks who have all this 
and still choose to work at something. Now it's not, it's not stacking boxes in a warehouse. Right. You know, it's not right. cutting down trees. It's it's not you know the hard you know it's not the kind of hard work that you know we think of. But they still have these big projects and and they take mm-hmm. risks and there's still this effort of like, you know, I assume Kylie wants to build something not just to have the TV show but to build this perfume brand that you know. Uh, will outlast Kylie her, Cosmetics. Right? Like I said, Kylie Cosmetics is worth over ninety million or nine hundred million dollars. I don't care who you are, that is a success for a business that is only I think four or five years old. Mm. And um, so to me, that's super impressive. I think you know we've obviously talked about Kim's adventures into business and the different things that she's done from perfume lines to her app. She's made more money off that app than anyone could have ever imagined. So, so what does the um, app do? Well, the, the Kardashian app, she was the first to actually come up with their own little characters and kimojis is what they're called. But they're like emojis with the Kardashian characters. And, you know, there's different things you can go in the app and you can buy stuff directly from the app. Um, so she's made a ton of money on that. Um, and there's like little games set up in the app for you to play and Kim Kardashian in Hollywood and Kim Kardashian in New York. And so she's made a lot of money off that and people are kind of shocked. But if you take a look into her tech money, that's where a lot of it comes from. And she's done perfumes and she does cosmetics. But then you've also got Chloe, who has the whole line of Good American Jeans now. Um, You know, they've all they owned Dash, which was the original company that they worked with. um, Sold that they have Kardashian kids. They have several different what I would consider like couture lines that most people aren't even familiar with. And then they have lines like Kylie and Kendall had lines with Walmart. Okay, get marketing expertise mm-hmm. that you simply does, that does not grow on trees. So, no. um, so in light of that, speaking of marketing, uh, I think a big chunk of your personal brand is that you are the primary antagonist of one of the least beloved fellows on The Bachelor in a long time. Um, <laughs> and so there was, a, there was was this week the big finale? Was this the yes. Colt? Finally, Colton. Colton. All right. Colton. Sorry, Yes, I'm Colton up Underwood. With Colt McCoy. That's okay. Um, they all have like the same name at that age. But yes, it's Colton. And um, I believe I told you all earlier. I still think he's too young. I think they made a mistake by having such a young bachelor. Um, and I'll get to why they're still continuing that method of mistakes moving forward. But it took them four nights and eight hours to give me the finale that I needed to have from when he jumped the fence last Monday night. Okay, when you say when you say he jumped the fence, yes. One, did the president's wall get built faster than I thought? <laughs> and is is he, okay, is he gonna, protecting the rest of the country guys, from undesirable I'm bachelors? Tell you guys is that what went down? Right. Jumping the fence was something that they showed us very early on in the season. That was showed Colton jumping over a fence. It was dark, and that he was missing and like gone. And Chris Harrison's looking for him. What we found out was that they were in Portugal, and the girl he was down to like the final three girls. It was fantasy sweet week. The girl that he was clearly going to pick broke up with him at their dinner and said that she couldn't do this. Like, she didn't know if she was ready to get married and she didn't know, like, she wanted him to be with someone who, like, loved him crazy. But it wasn't going to be her because she didn't, you know, she was just not into what was happening with this whole bachelor thing. Well, because he had already made the decision that she was his girl, he flipped out. Like, he told her that he loved her. He told her, like, that he wanted her to stay. And there was no nothing that was keeping her at that point she got in the car and left at which point he then like took off jumped an eight foot fence and took off into the portuguese countryside huh. they yeah, apparently they run away bachelor yeah they looked they had like cast and crew out in cars like looking for him with spotlights and shit 
So they find him, bring him back, and he tells Chris Harris, Harrison, the, the host, that he doesn't want to do this anymore, that he's quitting. And it's like, okay, like, this has never happened, obviously. And he's like, yeah, I want out. I want this done, whatever. Ultimately, he ends up going and breaking up with the two women that were still there. Goes and tells them, you know, their journey is over. They won't be going to Spain or anywhere else because he's done. <laughs> and they're all kind of like, wait, what? What about my date? I don't even get to go on yeah, my A bachelor date. with he's a show like, without a bachelor. Correct. And he's like, yeah, no, I'm done. He's like, I love Cassie and I can't love two people. And meanwhile, I'm watching this like, dude, but she's not that into you. Like everything that ev- people had warned him about Cassie for I don't know, since the beginning, like the people, the women in the house said, Cassie's not ready. Her dad said, Cassie's not ready. Her mom said, Cassie's not ready. Chris Harrison said, Cassie's not ready. And Colton's like, I'm ready. I love her enough for both of us. Like, so there was a point where it felt a little much. Um, I I saw that someone suggested that, you know, this is what happens when you thought you just wanted to go on the show to get some more Instagram followers and a virgin becomes obsessed with you. Um, But... (laughs) As it turns out, he did go and talk to Cassie, and she very, like, uh, I, I wouldn't say enthusiastically. I would say more to the point of just, like, oh, my God, I'm on television, and now you've done this, so I guess I'm going to have to go along with it. Um, she, he tells her that he has broken up with the other women, that he only wants to see her, and, you know, if she wants to, they will continue the journey together, just the two of them, and go to Spain to meet his parents. And they do that. They go and meet his parents. And she, he proceeds to tell his parents what he's done. And they look at him like he's lost his mind. Probably because like, he has. Right? And so... <laughs> it's like, almost it, like it's, trying to find your long-term mate and the love of your life on a reality show. is It's not a, a yeah. surefire formula for success. And so, you know, you have that whole scene with them. And then there was no engagement. There was no proposal of any kind. Um, but they did show up on the reunion show together on Tuesday Night Live and it was at that point they announced that they are boyfriend and girlfriend and that they they're still it. together yes they're still together they're boyfriend and girlfriend um, and that they you know Colton apparently moved out to LA so that he could be closer to her so they could see each other during the week while this was all you know going on and legitimately I will say this they did appear to be a real couple when I saw them so you know I guess props to him for pulling out of what was a reality show to do what he felt was best for his real life um, and moving forward with Kathy on that front. But I feel like both of them probably should have watched the show before agreeing to do it because she didn't seem to understand the whole way through that if she won, he was probably going to propose to her. Yeah, I was going to say. And he didn't seem to understand that, you know, the point of being on The Bachelor was to pick somebody who was going to say yes. So, yeah, it was was a real stretch um, at times. And I feel like, you know, I wish them nothing but the best for putting their lives out there for all of us to mock and watch. But <laughs> at the same time, like, I don't have high hopes for either one of them, if I'm being completely honest. She's only 23 years old, for God's sake. Which leads me to the next comment, which is they announced who the new Bachelorette was going to be. And her name is Hannah Brown. She was Hannah B. during this last season. Or we called her Hannah Beast. That's what she had a little nickname of being. Okay. Um, she's adorable. I loved her to death. But she is only 23 years old. That child does not need to find a husband. And she certainly doesn't need to go on TV to do it. Like most of the bachelorettes that I believe are on there are like 28 to 31. And under that, you know, it's not like they're spinsters at that age, but at least they've like had some experience and maybe actually want to get married so they can have kids or whatever, right? 
Yeah, but, say, I'm trying to think, you know, Tuesday, I got married in 2003 years old, to me, is just too damn young to be out, like, being the bachelorette. Now, it's a great opportunity to her for her to further her career. Um, and she's a beautiful girl, so I hope that she does well. And like I said, I really like her. But the likelihood of her actually picking someone that will be, you know, a good husband off a reality show at 23, I have my doubts. Yeah. Again, it's not called the dating show. It's not the dating game. You know, it, it's presumably people who are, you know, going to, to get out stuff. But I think you're right. The the older one, traditionally, it, you know, it's been, oh, you know, like you, they only call you a bachelor when you're not married and people figure you should be by now. Correct. <laughs> right? that, that's when it becomes a distinguishing characteristic. Nobody talks about, ah, you know, a whole bunch of 21-year-old bachelors. I mean, you know, no. or, or high school bachelors or, or something like right. that. Um, so generally there's that and, sense of, huh, why, you know, you're, you're a real catch. Why haven't you found one yet? Let's have a game show to, you know, figure out how to find the right person. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, you know, I, Mickey, once again, I thank you for not, for watching it. So the rest of us don't have to, um, but revealing it every time I see the promos, I'm like, okay, I gotta, I gotta ask Mickey what's going up. And, and, you know, just one little thing to cap off the entire season where they talked about Colton virginity every single episode. It's pretty clear. He's not a virgin anymore. Ah, dun, dun, dun. Yeah, it was great. Cause they asked him like point blank repeatedly. And he said, a gentleman never kisses and tells and then smirked and smirked and smirked and smirked. <laughs> <laughs> and then he looked at the camera and winked and right, not, exactly. Not like he may have just done ex- and made yeah. several hand gestures to indicate mm-hmm. uh, pretty much, yeah. Right. yeah. So, so um, congratulations, okay. Colton, to popping your cherry. Is that the dumbest thing you've seen on TV lately, or is there something dumber? I, I have a feeling Netflix is going to come, going to rise to the occasion for you. <laughs> well, friends, you know I watch these things because. As Jim said, so you don't have to. Although some of you were the reason that I ended up watching this next thing. And um, guys, there is a documentary on Netflix and it's called Behind the Curve. And it is about the Flat Earth Society. <laughs> and I need you to understand that the these are real exclusive Flat Earth Society. Yeah, these are real people that are apparently connecting via the internet. Um, they're the crazies that you've been warned about, so to speak. They're the ones who believe in fluoride being a problem, in chemtrails, in vaccinations being the cause of all evils. These are the same people who now believe that the earth is flat. And there's an entire documentary about them. And I needed you to understand that if you choose to watch this, you need to do so maybe with a drink. Maybe with a really open mind, but you need to understand that you're going to feel dumber just for watching it. So these are people who apparently in the last couple of years have gained a lot of credibility by putting videos on YouTube. And you're going to love this. Talking about how they've discovered that the earth is flat. And apparently, yes, because there was a, a guy who was considered like the father of flat earthing who apparently was at a party and he claims that he talked to somebody from NASA and they told him that the earth was flat. And I said, you know, this is how the whole thing began. So he then goes on and starts doing these YouTube videos about how the earth is flat and how no one can prove him differently and blah, 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 blah. And of course, like everyone can prove him differently, but they don't have any interest in your proof because everyone's in on this government conspiracy theorist. And I know you're going to be shocked by this, but it's probably the Jews. 
Ah, because uh, all right, you knew it was going to lead there at some point. Yeah, like, it's probably the Jews who are behind it because you know they're behind everything. Um, but yeah, so the government conspiracy is this: that the Earth is actually flat, and every other everything that we've ever seen that indicates that it's not is part of the cover-up. So they explain like like. So who benefits from this perception of an Earth of, of around Earth? Like that's that's the this is the question mark underwear underwear gnome aspect of this grand conspiracy. Yeah, it really is. Um, I'm not sure who benefits from it based, but they have models made now. Like there's a guy who's making bank off of making models of a flat Earth. And oh, by the way, the reason the Earth is actually like super flat, and there's a dome over top of it, just like the Truman Show. <laughs> All right. So, so if you get to the end of it. You're, you know, going to fall off or hit the side of the. Okay. Dome. So this raises the question, um, what's underneath it? Um, don't worry about that. Why are you, why are you <laughs> asking that question? The earth is shaped like a disc, gem, and it's flying through space. And you know how he could tell that now this is really important because there apparently is like feuding going on amongst the camps because the one guy who founded and started this thought, he's not as popular as the guy Mark, Mark Sargent who this particular documentary is about. And now he's coming out with conspiracy theories about Mark Sargent being a paid plant by the CIA, you know, that whole thing. Oh, so yeah. there, there's some, you know, discrepancies within the group. But Mark explained to me, Jim, how he could prove that he could just as easily prove that the earth was flat and the people could not prove that it was round. And he walked out to the edge of the water and looked out into the distance where he could see just the tippy top of buildings. And he said, that's Seattle. It's 30 miles away, and I can see it. So the Earth is flat. Yep. Mm -hmm. yep. <laughs> I, I've been reduced to stammering to explain. No, that's not really how. So two thoughts. I mean, the, you know, for the for the demo, the for the portion of our audience that happens to be flat Earthers. Um, besides the testimony of all the astronauts, so I guess all would have to be in on it and things like that. Mm -hmm, I are. believe there was, was National Geographic or some point had a really way back in like I think the 1930s or so, it taken some picture from the top of some mountain in the Himalayas. And they said that if you looked at the horizon, you know, from the, the, the horizon point at one point, the horizon point at another, um, that you could actually measure a very small curvature of the Earth. That you that you, mm -hmm. that you can get high enough to the point where you can see it. Uh, you know, this is all coming off the top of my head because I wasn't planning on lecturing on how the Earth is round. Now, I could, look, if you're a kid and you hear the Earth is round, you're probably like, "Get out of here!" Right. <laughs> you know, you've you've never seen any part like the idea of gravity pulling us inward in all directions. You know, like I get that, right? We, you know, unless you've seen it. It might seem really weird. What I don't quite get is, okay, so we've got all the astronauts who've ever been out there, all the uh, spacecraft that's been up, all the pictures from uh, satellites, all of that, this picture of the Himalayas, I tell, all, all this stuff. And um, they, uh, they, they or, or just actually, you know what? Here's a good idea. If you pick a direction and you travel in it, for you know, endlessly, you'll end up back where you started. Mm. How does that work in a flat Earth? Um, I need you to understand that they're not listening to all of your conspiracies, Jim, <laughs> because you have obviously been paid by the government and the Jews. You so know, I'm going to need you to like back down because they actually set up themselves 
um, for this big experiment at the end of the documentary where they were going to be doing a curvature experiment over a three mile stretch of flat land that they believe to be obviously super flat. Mm -hmm. um, and they were going to shine a laser across, you know, three different boards. And if it all lined up, then the earth was flat. If the guy, if the light needed to be raised up at the end in order for it to hit the last beam, then the earth would have a curvature to it. So they spent the last half of the documentary flashing back and forth between the setup of this great, ex, you know, experiment and exam of what they were going to be able to prove finally that the earth was flat. And we watched, you know, failed experiment after failed experiment. And finally he says, okay, go ahead and send it through the light beam they've put together now. And it wasn't coming through on the other end. Shocked him. Then he says, okay, all right, well, if it were, you know, if the earth were flat, then if he were to raise it up several feet, then we would see the light come through. And he's like, so just for fun, go ahead and raise it up several feet. And at which point the light came through. And that was the end of the documentary. Um, because they proved themselves that curvature exists and have not been able to like disprove their flat theory. So it was, um, it was, like I said, it was one of those things where you have to like, you have to be willing to give up because you're not, if you give up flat earth, like if you give up the, the earth, the earth is round, right? You're giving up all physics and principles that are tied to that, including gravity and things mm -hmm. of that nature. Yeah. You kind of so, have to make up a yeah. whole Dungeons and Dragons rule book of, of how yeah, this alternate like the, physics works. Yeah. I, mm -hmm. I also, again, I, I, you know, the observation there is when they say, ah, of course, you're saying the the Earth is round, Jim. You're on the payroll of the global conspiracy and the CIA, and and I sit there and I think, you know, the Rothschilds and Rothschild yeah. Trilateral Commission, Hellfire Club, exactly, um, all of and it. I, yeah. And I look at that, and I think, boy, that would be a better world, wouldn't it? You know, what do you do for a living? Well, I I defend the I I promote the conspiracy the conspiracy that the Earth is round. I mean, that there that'd be a pretty pretty easy gig, right? You know, yeah. I mean, you got to doctor some photo. You probably need Photoshop skills and stuff like that. But like, I think probably the one thing that you learn very, very quickly is that these people like to believe that they're smarter than everyone else. Yes. <laughs> um, that's pretty much like the whole basis of the entire it's conspiracy the theory. mechanism for not mm -hmm. being that smart. Interesting. Uh, you know, I, I think that's that's pretty astute there. Yeah, I mean, they all believe that they're smarter than everyone else. That. You know, they know something that no one else knows. I think this is something that you find with almost all conspiracy theories is they feel like somehow they've been let in. Mm. We are the enlightened ones. Yes. Mm -hmm. we are. They're we the are enlightened ready to ones. lead humanity That's out of the, the darkness. Yeah. Correct. We are sheeples who believe in gravity and that the earth is shaped like a globe. And uh. like I said, I, I recommend people watch it only if you know what you're getting into and you understand that there are going to be times when you're going to look at your TV and think, I should stop watching this. I'm not getting smarter. I'm getting dumber. But mm -hmm. if you need to keep going, I understand because I had to do that. Like I felt the need to just see where this was going for them because, of course, there's no reality where it ends with somebody going, you're right. The earth is flat. We're going down the rabbit hole, Alice. So yes, no, no. I was gonna say I think I, they they may come to their their hole of madness may never end, but ours must. Um, and so I believe it's uh, uh, time. The journey for the, ra the rabbit hole has ended this week for T Jams. Yeah. 
And, you know, just as always, these all fly by so quickly, but I'm so glad that we got to get together with each other and with our listeners this week. So we had so much to talk about. Um, I do encourage all of you to subscribe to this this particular podcast so that when it comes available, we have a new one, which we're trying to get on the back on the schedule of doing it once a week. We're getting better. that it will automatically populate into your uh, phone and into where you podcast listen to. You can find us on soundcloud.com forward slash Jim and Mickey show. You can also find us at iTunes. If you look up Jim and Mickey show or hashtag T jams. Um, and so I would recommend that you, you know, you can pretty much find us at any place that you currently listen to podcasts because of those two locations and just go ahead and subscribe. So hit that button, subscribe to the podcast and you won't miss another one from us. Um, you can always hit us up because I would love to hear your feedback. Um, please give us feedback on either our Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash Jim and Mickey show, or hit us up on Twitter. Um, the, the show itself is at Jim and Mickey. And then my account on Twitter is at bias girl. And Jim is of course at Jim Garrity. We would love to hear from you um, and just kind of talk about some of the things that we've talked about this week and what we'll probably be talking about next week. Who knows? Um, But do keep listening, do subscribe and do share with your friends. And as I like to say at the end of every show, I am Mickey White. He is Jim Garrity. And you've been listening to the one, the only Jim and Mickey show.